So 11 and a half years ago, my wife and I started to look to buy our very first home. And the way that we decided that we were going to do it was not we were going to find this awesome home and then we'll just put up with the neighbors around us. Instead, what we decided to do is we were going to drive around the city. And as we drove around the city, we were going to pray and we were going to ask the Lord to show us which neighbors he wanted us to have. So we're driving around and then suddenly we came into this neighborhood and neither one of us had ever been here before. But we like instantly felt God telling us like, this is the neighborhood that I want you to move into. And so 11 and a half years ago, we actually became the very first family from Sojourn Community Church to move into the Shelby Park neighborhood. We start ringing the bells and we're telling everybody like, come be a part of what God's gonna do in Shelby Park. And uh, we may have rung the bell a little louder than we meant to. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. Today's episode is where the gospel meets gentrification. We're taking you back to the neighborhood where our podcast first began, a neighborhood that, partly because of the church, finds itself faced with a decision to either protect the long-term residents and make sure that they still have a place here in the neighborhood or to accidentally drive them out. Welcome back to Shelby Park. And welcome to our corner of the urban universe. Okay, so Rachel, today we're talking about gentrification. And gentrification, it's kind of hard to define. Yeah, so typically when someone says gentrification, what they mean is displacement. So people in a community who are minority or poor getting essentially pushed out because of new people coming in, bringing with them development and rising housing costs. And actually, this is a big problem in our nation right now. So seven major U.S. cities right now are considered more than 25 percent gentrified. But displacement is something that's been happening since the dawn of human history. And in fact, the Israelites, they were really familiar with displacement. So in 722 BC, the Israelites were displaced to a city called Babylon, and they were sent there because they were no longer keeping the covenant God had made with them. And a big part of their disobedience was God's people were unjustly treating the vulnerable in their society. So they were doing all their religious duties. They were fasting, they were praying, they were sacrificing at the temple, but all while exploiting the poor and the vulnerable among them. And it's through the prophet Isaiah that God reminds them of his attitude toward vulnerable people. Isaiah 58 says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And it's verses just like this one that have sort of become the battle cry of Christians who want to live out social justice. Yeah, I mean, that's a large part of why Sojourn Community Church moved into Shelby Park. But before Sojourn ever moved into their building or into the neighborhood, my wife and I actually moved in. And at the time, another Sojourn member also wanted to move into Shelby Park. And her name was Jordan Albury. It just seemed like it made sense financially because we could afford to live there. Also, a goal of ours was to stay in the community where Sojourn was actually planted. Jordan was in her early 20s, and she wanted to embody God's call to justice. So when Jordan and her husband decided to buy their first home, she immediately looked at homes in Shelby Park. 
Well, Jordan tells her family where she wants to live, and the response? It was not favorable. We got a lot, a lot, a lot of pushback from family members and some friends because it's it's dangerous there, high crime rate. We would be in the minority racially. And she knew that Shelby Park was considered an impoverished, or as one online forum put it, a dicey part of town. So here we are excited about buying our first home, and which is supposed to be an exciting thing, but we decided to go into a neighborhood that's pretty depressed. Well, Jordan knew where God stood on justice for the poor. And so for assurance, she turned to scripture and to song. And I remember sitting on our front porch discussing it and discussing all the pushback from our family members. And um, we started singing. Let justice roll like a river, like a river, let it roll. Let justice roll like a river, like a river, let it roll. So Jordan believed that God cared about the least of these, and she wanted to model that. And so even though her family was not supportive, Jordan decided she wanted to trust God. And so she bought a home in Shelby Park. When Jordan moved in, there were actually four families from Sojourn living in the neighborhood. One of those was my wife and I. And I don't know, I guess our presence there, it was just a bit strange. And to help you understand what I mean by that, let me give you an overview of Shelby Park. So Shelby Park, it's almost split down the middle racially. So 48% white, 52% black. It has a 12.7% unemployment rate, which is huge. Uh, That means that more than one in 10 people do not have a job. So 34% of residents have never completed high school. And almost half, 47% of residents live below the poverty line. So here comes Jordan. She's white. She's educated. She doesn't buy her groceries at the neighborhood corner store. Right now, I'm the only one on my street coming home with Trader Joe's bags. So on the outside, she doesn't seem like she fits in. But her very first walk in Shelby Park made her feel like this neighborhood was her home. I had not even stepped foot in the literal Shelby Park before moving into our house. I took my dogs for my first walk in Shelby Park early in the morning, and um, and it was my first time, and I was just stunned at how beautiful Shelby Park was. And actually, this park, it was designed by Frederick Olmsted. So this is the same guy that was the father of landscape architecture. He designed Central Park in Manhattan. So the park is just beautiful. And I just felt just so assured, even amidst the pushback that we'd received, that This is my home. Going back to my house after after that, it was just like, you know, I could I could be that person that can totally think of this laundry list of, oh, we're going to do this cool event on my street and we're going to do that cool thing. And I'm going to bake bread for uh, 16 neighbors in order to get 16 prayer requests. But that's not that's just like this is hitting the surf, the surface. And Jordan, she has big dreams for the folks in her neighborhood. But I was a feisty 23-year-old that was just like, everybody's going to be, I don't know what I wanted them to be like, but something was going to happen because I showed up. Now, it's important to understand that Jordan, her intentions, they're good. She genuinely wants to love her neighbors. She genuinely wants people to know Jesus. There's no ulterior motive there. But growth doesn't come without change. So in order to see growth in Shelby Park, there's going to have to be change. 
And Jordan, she wasn't the only one who wanted to bring this good change to her new neighborhood. Part of the incoming change came from another Christian named Bryce Butler. So in addition to a lot of poverty, lack of education, another staggering statistic of Shelby Park is the number of vacant homes in the neighborhood. Shelby Park, on that list of vacant abandoned properties, had about 330 in a 15-block neighborhood. That's a lot. So this is Bryce Butler, and he's a managing partner at Access Ventures, a company that provides capital for entrepreneurs. When he says 330 homes is a lot, what's like an average amount? Okay, so just to give you an idea, so Flint, Michigan, which is often in the news for a lot of its own poverty issues, it was actually cited last year as having one of the largest vacancy rates, and that was only 7.5%. Shelby Park, nine years ago, the vacancy rate was 23%. Holy cow. That's almost a quarter of the buildings. Yeah, there was a time where my wife and I actually would look out our front door and we were the only occupied home out of the six homes on our corner. And they're not only eyesores for the neighborhood, like they just cause a lot of problems for people that live here. And that leads to a lot of other neighborhood instabilities, crime, increased prostitution, drug trafficking, just, I mean, any number of things. And so since Bryce is all about investing and capital, he started figuring out some numbers in his head. Could I buy and renovate a home? And can we simultaneously take some of this vacant and abandoned housing stock and repurpose it for fifty to 60000 Now, it's not going to be the most amazing home in the world, but it's going to have better HVAC. It's actually going to have insulation. The windows are going to be improved. And so Bryce tested it out. He flipped eight homes, but still rented them out at a fair market price. Well, that's pretty cool. So he's using his talents and his job skills to help the residents of Shelby Park. Except for the folks who ended up renting those eight homes. Uh, they weren't like longtime folks who had come from Shelby Park. They were other Sojourn Church members. And they'd heard about the efforts happening in Shelby Park. They wanted to move in. They wanted to be an active part of what God was doing in that community. But at the end of the day, it was more middle-class white folks moving into the neighborhood. And in its most basic definition... That is gentrification. So when a lot of us from Sojourn began to move into Shelby Park, a lot of us were middle class. And so not only are we bringing sort of our middle class ideas about Shelby Park to the table, but we also were bringing our ideas about how we thought God wanted things done. And what became apparent pretty quickly was that we were changing a lot of things. I think they changed too much too fast. When helping actually kind of hurts. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Taylor from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I made an impact on people experiencing gentrification by serving for a year with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's episode is where the gospel meets gentrification. So we've been following Jordan as she and other Sojourn members move into Shelby Park to live out God's command to do justice. And Jordan wasn't the only one who was excited about moving into Shelby Park and bringing some change in the neighborhood. I sat down with a longtime resident. Her name is Mary Owsley. And when all these Sojourners started moving into the neighborhood, Mary was pretty excited too. And most of the people that have moved are younger people that are moving into the neighborhood, which I love. And it makes the neighborhood 
um, more appetizing to other people. So Miss Mary has lived in Shelby Park for 30 years in the same house. And during those 30 years, she's seen a lot of things come and go in this neighborhood. The restaurant on the corner was the only business. There was no store. You know, uh, well, let me take that back. After I think about it, there was a bakery on Shelby, right there on the corner. Um, There was a bakery there. Oh, they had the best donuts. And then they had, when I first moved here, they had a library. Another interesting fact about Shelby Park is it also boasts this historic community center. And Miss Mary would see people going in and out of this community center all the time. They had it where you could go over and do your taxes and you could go over and, you know, um, if you wanted, send things, uh, emails and all that. But due to various things like lack of participation, vandalism, changes in ownership, all these things Mary mentioned, they're gone. They're no longer in Shelby Park, leaving the neighborhood not only with a huge number of vacant homes, but now also a huge number of vacant businesses. Yeah, so remember Bryce Butler, the guy who flipped those eight homes? Well, he decides that in addition to flipping those homes, he's also going to do something about these vacant businesses. In 2010 at the census, there was only one person that both lived and worked in Shelby Park. And part of that problem was there aren't any jobs in Shelby Park. And so Bryce, along with other partners, brought several businesses back to Shelby Park. We saw the architecture firm that moved in. We saw the engineering design firm the co-working space, shared office. We have a coffee roastery. Some of our borrowers on the business side have moved into Shelby Park. So it's been really neat to see new business activity. And so you look at the work that Bryce and his company Access Ventures is doing, and they're starting up all these businesses, and it's good. I mean, you look at what was formerly this you know, business corridor in Shelby Park that was completely vacant, and now you drive and there's businesses everywhere. I think that the ongoing concern is not about these new, wonderful businesses. It's just, where does somebody who's grown up impoverished and grown up without an education and, you know, doesn't go to coffee shops, like, where do they fit in this picture? Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, Jesse, this was kind of true for you and the folks at Sojourn as well. I can remember one time, like, I had this neighbor, and she sold popcorn on the side to make money. And I remember that uh, Sojourn, we were throwing a film festival, and so we were showing all of these indie films. But my wife suddenly realized, hold on, people eat popcorn at movies. We should have our neighbor come and sell popcorn. And it was a resounding no from everybody else that was involved. And the bottom line was that she wasn't cool enough. She wasn't hip enough. It was not the right aesthetic. We didn't want her selling her, you know, cheap popcorn from the corner store when we're trying to portray a certain kind of hipster image. And, uh, you know, it was a real indictment on us. And in fact, you know, Jordan remembers a similar story that still haunts her to this day. There was a church on, on our street, and there was a handful of people... I want to say just like a dozen or maybe less of congregants at that church. It was still an active church when we when we moved in. And it was a, a neighborhood, historical neighborhood church in Shelby Park. It was this old brick church. And you would see just like a dozen cars parked actually in the lawn in front of the church every single Sunday. And there are so many times I wondered what's going on in that church. They were doing outreach on my street This church had been there for a long time, and we ignored them. 
We just threw our own block party with a bigger bouncy house. Then one day, it was just gone. And I don't mean like the congregation stopped attending. I mean that a bulldozer pulled up to the building and started to demolish it. And within a matter of days, all that was left was just a field. Did you invite the folks from that church to the block party? I can't say that it ever even crossed our thought to invite people from that church to our block party. We were focused on our agenda and what we were there for and what we were going to do and our way of doing things. And we didn't have the patience to put up with other people's lack of efficiency. And every time I walk past that empty lot, I regret not stepping foot in that building and saying, can I partner with you all in your outreach to the neighborhood that I now belong belong in, um, instead of thinking my ideas of my church are more advanced or whatever. And it's kind of, I mean, it looks like a scar on my street of a place of outreach and love and welcome that my neighbors had for generations upon generations that's literally not there anymore and that I unknowingly feel like I participated in. Today, often with well-meaning Christians at the helm, Shelby Park is becoming a hotbed of activity. Where once only four Sojourn families lived in the neighborhood, there's now at least 30 Sojourn households. And seven businesses have moved into the neighborhood just within the last three years. I was talking to one of my neighbors um, down the street. He had surgery not that long ago to remove a tumor in his chest. And he said his uh, rent is is going up and he's just worried. How is he going to pay for medical bills? How is he going to pay for his rent? And his rent is going up because property values are going up. And so this is where we find ourselves um, in this really sticky situation. New sojourners have come in, more projects are taking place, like, um, oh, we're going to do these things for these people because we showed up. And and then I've thought to myself, like, wait a second, have they not thought to ask some of us who have been here for a while, what's the best thing for your neighbors? But amidst her criticism, Jordan remembers that there was somebody else who hadn't thought to ask anyone either. It was her, at least her 23-year-old feisty self that had moved into Shelby Park to do great things. It's a it's a poor theology that I came that I came from a poor American evangelical cultural theology that says your work, your efforts, your giftings that you bring to the table are going to create change. Here's the thing. It's a fine line and it's hard because you look in scripture and you see this picture in the New Testament of God's church being extremely diverse racially, economically, age wise. And so you've got these repeated commands for those that are wealthy to care for those that are poor, but also that those that are poor, that they're a blessing and a gift to those that are wealthy. So you get this picture of this beautiful diversity. The problem is that we just don't know how to do diversity. What we know how to do is to come in and become an infestation. We just, we only know how to take over. We don't play well with others. We tell ourselves we're going to, But then, man, when push comes to shove, we just think we're the stuff. You know, we just think we know best and we think we know the way to get things done and what's what the healing answers are. And if you would only listen to me, you know, who needs a savior when the world's got us? Here's Miss Mary again. 
I think they changed too much too fast because uh, a lot of things was in place, uh, but it was always a disagreement on when and where or how. And, you know, as far as being segregated, we've been segregated enough. But a, a lot of the churches do not want to do that. They want to make it centrally theirs. And it's not yours. It's for everybody. It's diversity. So, Rachel, you know, it's impossible to talk about gentrification without also getting into the topic of race. And even though the term gentrification is a buzzword right now, this is it's just not a new narrative. So back in the 1950s, white flight started happening. Do you know what white flight is? Yeah, white flight is when all the white people moved out of the city and they all went to the suburbs. Right. You know, white folks are the majority in this country. And the way that we leveraged that power back in the 50s is that when people of color began to receive equal rights, the way we responded to that is that we built suburbs and we moved out and away from the cities and we abandoned our urban neighbors. And now all of a sudden, all these years later, we're going, these long commutes suck. I don't want to drive this far. I'd much rather live closer to downtown. And so we're moving back in, but I don't know that we're always doing it with the intention that we want our urban neighbors to be our neighbors long-term. I don't want, even if they're, you know, one of the bad neighbors that my, that other neighbors have labeled, I don't want them to go. And so, and so what does it look like? We come in and we flip these homes and we are quote missional in this neighborhood all the while pushing out people who need Jesus. I wish there would have been somebody to talk to us about what is our presence doing for the good and for the bad. Yeah, I find myself asking the same thing. Stay with us. Hi, this is Jamara from Buffalo, New York. I made an impact on people experiencing gentrification by serving for a year with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's episode, Where the Gospel Meets Gentrification. We've been following the relationship between Sojourn Community Church and a neighborhood called Shelby Park. As Shelby Park leans further and further into gentrification, Sojourn, a church that meant well, ended up adding to the problem. So where do they go from here? Well, for starters, they installed their first African-American pastor, Jamal Williams. And you can hear his story if you go all the way back to episode number one, where the gospel meets racial reconciliation. And second, they partner with an organization called Seed to Oaks. And so we partner with churches like Soldier in Midtown by uh, saying, hey, how can we help you understand your neighborhood better? This is James Westbrook, director of programs for Seed to Oaks. And what they do is train and equip churches on how to be involved in their communities in truly beneficial ways. We can do so many different things. We can offer this, we can offer that. But if it's not speaking to the needs of your community, uh, you're, you're literally having a conversation with yourself. If everything is about the rising narratives, the new people coming in, or a new Shelby Park, you, that is done to such degradation of the folks that are there. 
Now remember, Shelby Park, it's diverse. And you've got now this growing middle-class population that are living right alongside folks that are living in poverty and have almost no education. It's real easy in these kinds of scenarios to leave people behind. Well, Seed to Oaks, in order to ensure that no one is left behind, they conduct what's called a neighborhood survey. We knock on the door and uh, we just simply ask them, hey, can we ask you some questions about your experiences uh, here in this neighborhood? They go around to as many homes in the neighborhood as possible and they ask questions like, how long have you lived here? What do you like about your neighborhood? What would you change if you could? Uh, what the survey allows us to do is step out of ourselves and get a different perspective of what the community needs are. Okay, so did they do one of these surveys in Shelby Park? You betcha. You want to know what they said? Yeah. All right. So, Rachel, right here in my hand, I've got the five key findings from Seed to Oaks Neighborhood Survey of Shelby Park. So, number one, diversity and unity. Folks in Shelby Park, a lot of pride just about how diverse the neighborhood is. People really enjoy uh, the fact that their neighbor could either be making the same as them or they could be making uh, twice as much as them. Number two, economic opportunity. So folks are really excited about all of these businesses that are moving into the neighborhood. However, it also became clear that local residents do not view the, the churches in this area as helpful in this regards. Hey, what does it look like to be trained and feel like we're equipped uh, to land some of these jobs? So number three, children and youth. Uh, there was a deep awareness of the need to teach and train and mentor the youth in the neighborhood. Number four, community events and festivals. Sojourn specifically uh, are that church on the corner that they say, uh, do you guys still do the medical clinics? Do you guys still do the fall festival? And number five, trash and beautification. And from these survey results, they then create an action plan. The way in which we've designed our pillars uh, with the medical clinics, with our events, uh, with uh, economic opportunity, with education and training, the way that we've designed it is speaking directly to the primary cares of Shelby Park. One of the things that's really tough for folks that don't have a lot of money is when Christmas rolls around and they want to buy gifts for their kids. And so Sojourn and C. Dokes came up with this other idea. Affordable Christmas is about providing a dignified opportunity for the less fortunate to provide the Christmas gifts for their children. Yeah. So, you know, I went to the affordable Christmas event. And so in the sanctuary of Sojourn Community Church's building, they had all these different tables set up with all these different Christmas gifts. So that's cool. So it's just like uh, like Christmas presents all over the place, like Christmas presents for sale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the people can come in and they buy these gifts at like 70 to 80 percent off the retail price. Oh, that's cool. So the idea is basically like instead of people feeling like they're charity cases where they're, you know, getting a bunch of free gifts to give to their kids, instead, like they actually purchase it. They have the dignity of buying the gifts themselves just at a price that's actually affordable for them. And so I spoke to one woman that came through. She was a single mom with four kids. And I asked her, you know, what does this mean to you? My oldest son got a bike, which is really awesome. I got a bike for like 10 bucks. He's so happy. He still rides the bike. He goes out in the rain and still rides it. Um, got my daughter some really cool stuff. My other kids some really cool stuff. It was really, really, really great. And I don't know. I guess it's difference between when someone gives 
your kids give someone you're able to do it yourself. It just makes me feel better as a parent to be able to do it myself. I like, I wanted to cry. Like I did. I think I cried and I had a girl like, thank you, because I didn't even know how I was going to pay my light bill, let alone get the kids some Christmas presents. They were really surprised. They really was. So what's interesting about this scenario is you've got Sojourn's building where folks on the lower end of the economic spectrum are getting affordable gifts for their kids. And then like literally across the street from the building is this higher end local boutique where folks in the middle class can do their shopping. So it's not about either or. Literally side by side in Shelby Park, we see this picture of both and. Today, Sojourn with the help of Seed to Oaks conducts job skills training, hosts free medical clinics, and provides after-school tutoring for kids. So it's not always big and flashy and grandiose, but it really does serve their neighbors. So here's what Miss Mary had to say about what Sojourn is doing now in Shelby Park. People want to be, you know, to be around other people. And I'm not just talking about, you know, black and white. I'm talking about be around everybody because everybody's got good, good ideas. And uh, that's what I've seen at Sojourn is that, you know, you it's diversity. You know, Shelby Park really has not gentrified nearly to the extent that a lot of other cities have. And there's a lot of long term residents that are still here in the neighborhood, at least for now. But the truth is this, Shelby Park is at a crossroads. And in the next few years, we're really going to see what trajectory the neighborhood is going to take. And for Jordan, she knows that it's going to look different than it did when she first moved in. But her hope is that it will be to the benefit of her neighbors and not at the expense of her neighbors. Wherever crossing the tracks is for people. Are we going in there thinking that um, these people need us so greatly? In the meantime, they're are always people who have always been in these areas and Jesus Christ has been present. And so what what will it take for us to lay down our pride in order to seek instruction and to, and to walk into a space assuming that we are a student? And Isaiah, God rebuked his people for not considering the vulnerable among them. Shelby Park, it's a diverse neighborhood, one that includes both black and white, middle class and below poverty folks with PhDs and folks who never finished high school. And to do justice is not to leave any of these people behind. The greatest of the commandments can be summed up in two. Love God with everything within you, essentially, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I guess what's happening in Shelby Park is really just a picture of what we've been exploring all season long. In every episode, it seems like it always just boils down to one simple phrase relationships change lives. This isn't about everybody moving into the inner city. For some of you, maybe that is what God's calling you to do. But whether you live on a farm or you live in the suburbs or you live in a high rise, it all boils down to the same thing. In this moment, how can you love God and love the people around you? Because relationships change lives. Let's go build those relationships. You can learn more about Seed to Oaks by visiting their website at seedtooaks.com. To get more resources on this topic or to hear past episodes of this podcast, you can visit our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast.
special thank you to our interviewees for this episode, Jordan Albury, Bryce Butler, Mary Owsley, and James Westbrook. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host today is Rachel Zabo, who's also our producer, technical director, and editor. Additional editing by Janelle Dawkins. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Sojourn Music, Poddington Bear, Scott Holmes, Murphy DX, and Wooden Axel. Apply for your social justice internship, supported by Christian Community, by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year, grow in your faith and life skills. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. <laughs>